I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is the word of the Lord. One more passage, Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. The Apostle Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the word of God. I want you to focus on that last part of verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. When you hear those words, what do you think about? I want to talk about, what do we think about when we hear the hope of glory? When I went to Trinity Mother Francis Health System to be an exercise physiologist, it was the first time that I ever heard I think I always knew this. I think we always, some things we know of. But it's like when you get it drilled into your brain all the time, life is a journey. Every time I went into the hospital, life is a journey. Come join us. Come join the healthcare professionals at Trinity Mother Francis Regional Health System. Come join them as you go on this journey of life. And we're all on this journey. We're all traveling with a team, some of us more than others, a team of healthcare professionals, right? We go see them sometimes several times a week. We see our healthcare professionals who are helping us on the journey. We're on the journey with our wife. We're on the journey with husbands and children. We're on this journey with people with whom we work, with neighbors. All sorts of people are on this journey with us. And when we think about the hope of glory, usually most people think about heaven. Now, I'm not saying there aren't people, and there are. It's unbelievable to say this. There are people in the United States who have not even have a, no thought of heaven or glory or anything like that. But most people, if you talk to them, they have an idea of heaven. They have an idea of a place of glory and a place not so glorious. Most people, if you talk to them, they have an idea of a place that's wonderful and one that's not so wonderful. A place of bliss and a place of burning, a place of rest and a place of torment. And it's been my experience, and I've been thinking about this, um, I've when we were at the church planners conference, they said, you know, there's some things you ought to say that maybe you don't always say. And one of them was, talk about some of the things you've experienced. Well, in my experience, most people have the idea that they're going to go to heaven. Most people have the idea that they're going to the place of bliss and not the place of burning. 
So most people, they have a vague notion of glory. I trained people who didn't have any desire about glory because they were atheists and they would be nice to me. I'm wondering what it would be like 22 years later. But, but, um, but they would come on Monday and they'd say, what'd you preach on? And I would talk to them because they wanted to have a relationship. So they always say, what'd you preach on? <laughs> and so I would tell them and then they'd want to stop the conversation. I'd go, okay, okay. They were talking to me. We talked about these things, but they didn't have any idea about heaven or hell. They believe that this is all you get. Live it to the best, and then you're done. There's other people that I would talk to. Usually these were younger people. They hadn't thought very much about heaven at all. And most of these people who hadn't thought about heaven at all, they had gone to college. They had gone and gone through a trade. They had learned uh, how to do a particular job. Anybody that was training back in 2000, they, they had a pretty good job because we were charging fees that nobody charges today. And so these guys had good jobs, but they, they thought about a lot of material things. They thought about all the schooling. They thought about all the things they needed to learn to have their job, but very little did spiritual things cross their mind. And when I found out in 2011, before I went to California, I was sitting in a hotel room with one of the men who was helping me think about buying my house. He said, did you know that in that gym you were called the resident Calvinist? <laughs> I said, no, I had no idea. But these people would have to, they, they would be with me, and uh, I would talk to them. Some of my clients t- totally believe that all good people go to heaven. God wants us to do our best. He doesn't expect perfection. He wants us to do our best, and that we will get in if we do our best. Some of my clients told me that they didn't even know what sin is, and they would tell me that, they said, help me to understand what sin is. I know I need to confess my sins, but I don't know what sin is. Help me to learn it. And for, for seven years, there's one man, I won't say his name, for seven years, from age 70 to 77 until he fired me, and I'll tell you that why he fired me later. It usually gets around theology, doesn't it? So after seven years of trying to explain to this guy what sin is, he would say, I don't see, I don't even know what sin is. And I was I would explain what you just did was a sin. Well, I don't see it that way. He's gonna get in. And some people would say, you know, God is loves me. Well, I had one client, I disagreed with her. She still trained with me. <laughs> she told me, My God's a great God, my God's a loving God. He's not gonna He's He's gonna let everybody in. He would never send anybody to hell. And so on. We could give many, many more ideas of what people think about heaven. And all of these people who have these vague notions about glory or heaven, not one of them is lazy. Understand, not, none of these people are lazy. Last week I told you, I, these, these folks, I would talk to them, and they, they knew what I was doing between every time, every session I met with people. They knew I was in the back room studying. They knew I had the computer on. They would say, what are you reading? What are you studying? And I would tell them, I'd read the Bible. Like I told you last week, read the Bible. These people are not lazy, but they didn't have time to read the Bible. They didn't have time to have anything but vague notions about glory. The Bible has some very straightforward things to say about glory. It tells us about the God of the place. It tells us about His Son who sits at His right hand in that place. It tells us about a father who loves 
a son and gives a son and saves sinners. It tells about righteous men made perfect. It tells about angels who are singing holy, holy, holy. Even as we do on the earth, they are doing this in heaven. It speaks about how you and I might see the place and enter the place. It speaks of these things. It speaks of the glory of the place. But my friends were so busy. They're so worried about many other things, about their riches and their desires for other things, that they could only content themselves with vague notions about the place. In their leisure time, in their leisure time, they would pursue other things. In their leisure time, they would think vague things about heaven, but in their leisure time, they would think about how can I get my son to train with Mr. Wheat? They would think about how to go on a vacation. They would think about what they were going to do. They were going to think about degree plans. They would plan for every single thing except heaven. They took it for granted. On the other hand, I would tell you that there, ha- there were clients, like you should expect, there are clients of mine who had specific notions about glory. They had specific thoughts about heaven. Now, when it comes to trips, when it comes to vacation, you can go look at Lori. She will help you out. She is an organizer to the max. Now, I'm, I, I look at these women, and when I see these women start laughing, <laughs> you like, give yourself away. Organizers to the max, right? And so, you know, if we're going to go somewhere, my wife, she first finds out the week or two that I'm going to be able to be off. And I remember in August, well, she planned way ahead of August, but it was August 2020. It was during COVID, during COVID. And so here we are. <laughs> she knows I'm going to get to have off this, this particular week. And she finds out that we can go to Lake Tahoe for, almost, what, a dollar a day? We went to some, pl- some plush place. They were just begging people to come. And so we went to this place. She studied it all out. She knew about the lake. She knew about the rooms. She knew about the beaches. She, she, we, we had friends who were in Nevada. They, they came to see us. We had it all. We were figuring it all out. She wants to make sure that there's a a big, long hiking trail that we can go walking on because she knows we like to do stuff like that. She knows where all the places to eat are. She doesn't leave any rock unturned. And then at the very end, before we go, we have to watch a lot of YouTube shows, YouTube videos to see where we're going, to see the place, to see the, the, the water at Lake Tahoe, to see the beaches. And so when we get there, we have never been there before, but we kind of got an idea of what it's like. And the same thing is true when it comes to the hope of glory. The hope of glory refers to heaven. And all of us are on this journey. And if you want to get there safely, you have to do more than think that everybody is going to get there. Because the song says, everybody who's singing or thinking about heaven ain't going there. That's true. You must do more than think about the fact that God's a great old God who loves every single one of us exactly the same way and He doesn't have any requirements to get in. It's not going to be all well in the sweet by and by. We have to do more than think our own thoughts about these things. We have to go to the Word of God and we have to find out what His thoughts are on the hope of glory. Well, all of you folks who have specific notions about the hope of glory, just like people who have vague notions All of the folks who have specific notions, guess what? You're not lazy. You're not lazy people. You know, sometimes people have called me lazy. I just look at them and laugh. I've had people in the gym call me lazy because I'm a Christian. I said, I work harder than everybody in here. What are you talking about? 
Just because I take time in my leisure time to open up the Bible and read the map that tells me about the hope of glory, does that mean I'm lazy? What do you do when you're in your spare time? All of us do things. All of us are busy. Every single person in this room is busy. You got kids. You got little kids. Three kids over here. Lots of kids. Lots of stuff going on underneath your feet. I had a woman who called me this past week crying because she almost died. And she said, Pastor Mark, will you give me some encouragement? And I told her yes, and she's got little kids. She said, what do I do? I said, love God more than you ever have. What do I do? I said, I know you got a three-year-old, a one-year-old. I said, get the Bible while they're eating and read Psalm 1 three or four times in a row. Read Psalm 23 over and over. Just read it to the kids. Do things you've never done before. Read this book. Read this. All of us are busy. But when we take the Word of God out and we read it, that doesn't mean we're lazy. And so here we are, we're reading the Bible, and here we are, we're at church. We made some time to sit down and listen to the word preached. And so we learn about the hope of glory. The Bible tells us about the God of the place. And the God of the place is a God who's very holy. He's high and lifted up. And this God of the place is a father who's willing and able to help us when we cry out to him. This father has set down his son at his right hand. And both the father and the son are all glorious. And underneath their throne, there's a river of life and it flows underneath them. And on either side of this water, this river of life, there's the tree of life. And it's every single month, 12 different kinds of fruit come off of that tree. Can you even understand that? (laughs) It's abundant life. It's just like before the fall, there was all this provision in heaven. There's going to be more provision than you can ever imagine. Abundant life in heaven waiting for us in the hope of is the glory of, of heaven. And so we look into the Bible, and the more we read, the more we learn. And we find out that it's a holy city. Remember, we studied a few months ago. It's not a place in the country. It's a holy city. It's where all these people are gathered together, and it's a wonderful and beautiful place. The light of the place, there's no need for an actual light to flip the switch on because Jesus is the light. He's always on. And the people who are there are righteous people made perfect. These are people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Some of them have been persecuted. Some of them have been executed for the sake of Christ. And there's one final thing I'll say before we move on. And it's in Revelation 21. We study that in the place of glory, there's no more crying. Think about that. No more tears. I promise you today, before this day's over, somebody's going to hear somebody cry. (laughs) It might be me. (laughs) But in this life, there's sorrow. And in this life, there are tears. In, in In glory, no more crying. Can you imagine that? There is a place where there's only crying all the time. But in glory, there's no more tears. The hope of glory can be your inheritance. But the Bible informs us the second point today is this. Christ is vital to this hope of future glory. Our text reads, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Turn it around. The hope of glory is Christ in you. The hope of glory is Christ in you. I've got to come and I've got to understand what does that mean, Christ in me? What does that mean? 
We have to go beyond vague notions. We have to go beyond this idea that because we, we think that God is a great granddad in the sky and all are going to get in, we have to start thinking God's thoughts and not our own. We're terribly mistaken if we think that, that everybody gets into heaven. There is a place of only crying all the time. There is a place of loneliness and abandonment from the presence of God. There is a place where there's nothing but fire and torment and gloomy loneliness, separation. We can only know these truths if we stop and we read, if we stop and we come to church, if we stop and we sit still, not lazy, but very, very busy and looking into God's Word to see what does this mean, Christ, in you, so that you may enter into this hope of glory. Well, last week we said the Bible is the anchor. We said the Bible is the anchor that stands forever. It's imperishable and it's living and it won't move and it attaches us to Jesus Christ who is the hope of glory. And so we come to see what does this mean? What is this union with Jesus Christ? What is Christ in you? What does that mean? Well, one Puritan put it like this. He said, It is the plain teaching of Scripture that Christ in you, Christ is in the believer, and the believer is in Christ. Now let's, give, let's look at some of these illustrations. Mr. Larson read John 15 for us, and we're going to look at that for a second. But I want you to think, what does it mean to be Christ in you? What does that mean? What's that, what's that speak of? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're told that the people were all baptized into Moses. So when Israel is coming out of Egypt... And they're leaving from Pharaoh. My daughter was sick this week. You know what we do anytime somebody's really sick in my family? <laughs> we watch the Ten Commandments. <laughs> so I just got through seeing Yul Brenner play Pharaoh. And Moses stands there, and the waters stand up on the sides, and they walk through on dry ground, and all the people were baptized into Moses. What does that mean? Not a one of them got wet. Do you realize that? <laughs> Being baptized into Moses, not one of them got wet. If they were in Moses, they were in their representative Moses, they went across on dry ground, and those folks who were not in Moses, connected to Moses, they came across, and the waters fell down on them, and they drowned. In Moses... In Moses, that's union with Moses. Salvation is through union with Moses. And the same thing is true in our passage. Christ in you is the hope of glory. John, 14, John 15, 4 and 5, it expresses it like this. Union with Christ is like the vine and the branches. Jesus is the vine. You and I, we're the branches. And you and I, if we're in Christ, His life flows in us. We have life with Him back and forth. And we are all branches together in Christ. Ephesians 1, and 23 expresses this union like this as the head and the body. If my head wants to go hiking up to Mount Rose, which is a six-mile hike, ask Evan. If you want to do it, if your head wants to do it, you have to have feet to take you there. Right? And Jesus says that I'm the head of my body, the church. In Galatians 2.20, the apostle writes, this is one of those verses you memorize when you're 20, 22. I live, yet not I, but Christ in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Do you hear that? In Christ, in me. I live by faith in the Son of God. 
Again, in John 6, 51 through 54, when we think about union with Christ, we think about the bread and the eater and the wine and the drinker. I pull that language out of, I uh, can't think of the guy's name right now. The, the bread and the eater and the wine and the drinker. So here's the bread and the eater. I'm going to eat this bread and what happens to it? It goes into me. And my body takes it and uses it for energy and it takes it and it uses it to build tissue. And the same thing is true of the wine. And Jesus says, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Are we, are we cannibals? No. But spiritually he's saying, when you take me, when you take me, I'm coming into you. I'm part of you. This is what it means to be in union with Jesus Christ. We're in him. It's mystical. And this union with Jesus Christ means that we have the hope of glory. What is it that brings about this union? Now, I hope, hope everybody knows it's one word, right? This is not a hard sermon. It's one word. It's by faith. Here's the sermon in a sentence. The hope of glory is Christ in you by faith. By faith. Listen to Galatians 2.20 one more time. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which now, I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Union with Christ comes by faith. And faith in Christ comes by hearing the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. Now, we can talk about it, but the gospel is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus' incarnation. It's Jesus' death on the cross. And it's Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And every person who hears that and believes that, they are in Christ. Think about Jesus' incarnation. We have the second person of the Trinity coming from heaven to earth. We have the second person of the Trinity being born. He has parents. Uh, every time I talk to children in their homes, this week I talked to a bunch of kids. What were their names? What, were the, what was his daddy's and mama's name? <laughs> he was born. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born. He had parents. He lived a normal life. He doodled in the ground. He did stuff just like every kid. He didn't even hit the blip on the radar until he went into the water and was baptized. And when he was in the water, that's where he began to symbolically carry the sins of the world on his shoulders. But not ultimately and only symbolically, he would actually go to the cross and give up his life a ransom for many. This is why the angel said to Joseph, when you name this child, name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus comes and he puts on human flesh, but he doesn't just live, he also has to die not only was it prophesied to be so, and not only must it occur just as it was prophesied, but he had to obey all the way to the point of death on a cross. Our sins have to be punished. One, of the day, one day I was over at Brian's house, and I was telling Bella, and I was telling Madison, I said, somebody has to pay. If you break a piece, if you break a lamp, somebody's got to pay. Who's going to pay? If I break the lamp, Brian might say, Pastor Mark, you have to pay. Or he might forgive me and say, I'll go, I'll forgive you, and I'll go buy a new one, and I'll pay. Somebody has to pay for their sins, right? And either we pay for our sins, or Jesus pays for our sins in a vicarious way, takes upon himself our sins, 
so that he is crushed for us, Psalm 50, I mean Isaiah 53. It says that God was pleased to crush Jesus. He was pleased to put him to grief. He was pleased to render himself as a guilt offering. What you and I deserved, Jesus received. Third, incarnation, death, resurrection from the dead. This is the gospel. Three days after he was this gory death, Jesus was vindicated. Now here's the interesting thing. Jesus goes and dies on a cross for sinners, but he never sinned. Everybody assumed he was a wicked person because nothing like that would ever happen to a good guy. Job, what did you do? What did you do, Job? Look at all the bad things happening to you, Job. Nothing like this would happen to a good guy, Job. You hear the argument? You're bad, Jesus. Everybody wags their heads at you, Jesus. How in the world would anything, how could you be a good person? Well, he was a good person. He was a perfect person. He was a sinless person, but he died for our sins. And God vindicated his sinlessness by raising him from the dead, and he overcame the dead. You know, Jesus comes to life. Now, every person that was, put, that was raised up by Jesus in life, they all died again. Did you know that? <laughs> raised up Lazarus, but he died again. He raised up the little girl, and he says, Talitha Kum, he's little 12-year-old, she, but she died again. There's, a little, there's another man in Luke 7 who was in a coffin. Jesus raised him up. But he, you know how we know that they all died again? Because they're not sitting on the front row right now. Jesus was raised from the dead, and he walked around for 40 days. Over, four, over 500 people saw him at one time. He broke the power of death. Nobody has ever died, come back to life, and stayed alive. But Jesus did. God vindicated him and raised him from the dead. That's the gospel. And it's Jesus' incarnation, his death on the cross, and his resurrection from the dead for sinners. Are you one of those? For the forgiveness of sin, the hope of glory. If you would worship God in heaven with righteous men and women made perfect, if you would worship this God who's seated and Jesus Christ at his right hand, if you would worship him and drink this water, if you would worship him and eat from the tree of the knowledge, I mean, of, of, of the, the tree of life. Get the wrong tree there. If you would do that, if you would enter into this place, it's got to be by faith. And Jesus says these words, listen to this, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says again, John seven thirty seven. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. I love what he says to Martha. I am the resurrection, Martha. I am the life, Martha. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this, congregation? This is the gospel. You must believe in the incarnation, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You must believe in that event. Not only must you believe in this event, you must be able to explain it, this event. So when I talk to kiddos, I want them to explain this event. They don't have to write a book. They don't have to know everything. They don't have to know half of what's out there. They just need to know how to explain it and how it applies to them. 
And that's where we go. 1 Corinthians 15, very short, very easy and succinct way to give the gospel. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Christ was buried. Christ was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. You have to know about that event, and you have to be able to explain it. But you have to do more. One more thing. What is it? You have to love him. You have to rest on him, Jesus. You just can't talk about him and explain him. You've got to go place yourself on him personally. It's not, it's not just believing something and walking away. It's trusting in this person. Okay, great, you can explain it. Okay, great, you know about it. But you've got to trust in this person. The apostle Peter says this, even though I do not see him now. You know what he could say? I had seen him. I had seen him before. Even though I do not see him now. He says, I love him. <laughs> do you love him? I can explain it. I know it happened. Do you love him? The Apostle Peter goes on, he says, Even though I do not see him now, I believe in him personally. And I greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Do you find yourself going to him? Do you find yourself leaning on him? Do you find yourself resting in him? The hope of glory is Christ in you by faith. And we're all on this journey. And in this life, there's two destinations. There's a place of gloomy darkness where there's no Christ. And there's a place of glory where Christ is. There's a place where it's torment. And there's a place where people are thirsty. And there's a place where people are only crying all the time. And there's a place where it's glorious, it's wonderful, and you have plenty of fresh water to drink. Believe the event. Be able to explain the event. But make sure you believe in the person of the event. Personally love Jesus. One of our own theologians wrote these words. I read this this week and I just thought, man, this, this is a great end to the sermon. Listen to these words. This created world is a sampling and a foretaste of all that we shall see one day. And if this world in its fallenness speaks so clearly of our God, we can eagerly wonder about the world that awaits us. What awaits us will be even more magnificent than anything in the world we know. And I'll just add one thing. We won't, by faith, be thinking about Christ, but we will see him just as he is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope of glory. We thank you that by faith, Christ is in us, and we can look for that glory now, and we know that we'll be there in the future. Help every single one of us to know this event, to be able to explain this event, but to love the person of the event with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and help us to love our neighbors all the way to the time we enter into this wonderful glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.